said the 300 to 8,000. And I want to ask that you specify testimony. You're not president as a moderator. <laughs> we're going to talk about COVID in the next time. We're not worried about you. All right. We're, and gentlemen, you're right. Wait, which no. was, they said it would this take a year to bring back in back the state of Ohio and Michigan. They brought back nothing. They gave up on their youth. They were not standing there. Gentlemen, can we move on to the Hi, my name is Christina, and I'm part of the Clark Life Group. Uh, today, we're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, so if you guys want to follow along with me as I read. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. All right, well, good morning, everybody, and good morning if you happen to be catching us on live stream as well. Welcome to Grace Church, and you can tell uh, from our graphic and everything we've been talking about today, we are starting a brand new series uh, that is called Dangerous Politics, and so, yeah, we are going to be jumping into uh, this dangerous and tense and shark-infested waters uh, conversation of politics, and uh, so if you're new to Grace or you're just kind of getting reconnected to Grace, you came at a great time uh, because we are starting a brand new series. The series is actually intended to last for the next three weeks, and so this week, the following week, and the week after, and that's kind of intended to lead up to the week of the election. And so really we said, you know, this is a great opportunity, uh, maybe as a church and maybe for us to kind of speak into something that's already kind of already on all of our minds. It's something that we're all looking at and thinking about together is this whole topic of politics. Uh, it's been interesting. I've, I've had a number of people, once we, once we announced that we were going to do this series, I've had a number of people uh, text me, email me, reach out to me, talk to me, and they said, man, I am looking forward to this series. I've had a lot of people say that. They said, I'm looking forward to hear what we have to say, what you have to say about all this. And, and my response has been the same. I've been saying uh, to everyone who said that, I said, well, I'm glad you're excited. Uh, because you don't have to be here, up here doing this. And so, uh, so obviously, um, I'm joking a little bit there. I, am, I genuinely am excited uh, for this conversation. I've been praying for it. I've been preparing for it. And so I'm really excited about it. But I will say that I am a little nervous, too. I'm a little nervous. I've been a little nervous this whole week thinking about this series and thinking about what we're going to be talking about. And the reason for that, I think all of us understand, is, is because of this. It's because politics contain the dangerous potential to divide. I think all of us kind of know that. I think all of us kind of feel that, that even though this is an important conversation, this is an important topic for us to be talking about, it also contains within it uh, the dangerous potential to be something that is that is divisive. I um, thought it was interesting. I was listening to a talk um, just this past week or uh, last couple of weeks, and they talked about something I didn't know, and that is that right now as a country, we are, uh, this is the most politically 
polarized time in nearly 150 years. And so they actually pointed out, they said, uh, right now, when you look at Democrats and Republicans, when you look at the left, and you look at the right, uh, that we are more polarized now uh, politically as a nation than we've been in nearly 150 years. And what that means is that the left has never been more left and the right has never been more right, that liberals have never been more liberal and conservatives have never been more conservative. And what I find so fascinating is that the last time we saw this kind of polarization uh, was basically right after the Civil War. And, uh, and so I think that's really telling, and I think it actually reveals to us and maybe articulates what a lot of us are already feeling is palpable in the air, and that is that right now we live in a very tense and a very divided time, maybe, maybe one of the most divided times politically that we've ever seen, uh, at least in the past, you know, in our lifetime or even kind of beyond that. So I think that for sure uh, this, this conversation contains within it the dangerous uh, potential to be divisive, but not just on a national level. I think that's also true on a personal level, on a relational level, and even within our own families. I actually found it was interesting. I was looking at some studies, and they showed that since the last election, so since 2016, uh, 16% of Americans said they stopped talking to a friend or family member uh, after the election. So 15, 16% of us would say that we, we cut off relationships, we cut off a friendship, we stopped talking to somebody uh, in light of political uh, views. Um, 17% said they blocked friends or family or, uh, uh, or family on social media for political reasons. So 17% of us would say that we, we unfriended someone, that we blocked someone, that we canceled someone from our social media feed uh, because of political reasons. And I think it's interesting, 22% of us, so that is more than one in five of us, know a couple whose marriage or relationship has ended or, or, or has been negatively impacted specifically due to the election. And, and so I think, again, this is all just revealing what I think all of us kind of feel and maybe are experiencing and know, and that is that we live in a uh, kind of polarized time politically. This conversation has a lot of potential to be divisive on a lot of different levels, right? Not, not just nationally, but also relationally, even within our own families, and maybe even within our own marriages. And not only that, I would even take it a step further, and I would say that this topic has the dangerous potential to divide even within the church, even within the church. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. Some of you might know the name David Platt. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, David Platt actually made national headlines last year. He's a pastor uh, over in the Washington, D.C. area. And last summer, he had a really interesting thing happen. Uh, after he was done preaching on Sunday, uh, some of his church leadership team came up to him and they said, we just wanna let you know, President Trump is in the building and he is asking and requesting that he come up on the platform and that you pray for him. So some of you guys might remember this. So David Platt, not having a whole lot of time to think about it, agreed to do so. And so he had pe President Trump come onto the platform and in front of the congregation, he prayed, he prayed for him. And then uh, he went on his way. Well, it's fascinating. And you might remember if you, if you read the, kind of the, the news on this because it made national news. Uh, as a result of this, he received both scathing hate mail from people within his church who said, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would endorse a candidate like that. I can't believe that you would pray for a man that's as vile as he is. All kinds of mail. And he also received um, elated praise from people within his congregation. People said, it's about time. We took a stand. We're excited that you're, that we're doing this, that we're going this route and all this kind of stuff. And, and all this stuff, this created a national debate on what he should or shouldn't have done, what was the right response and, and all those things. Now, obviously there's a lot of different opinions on there and we're not gonna get into all of that. But this whole event, this whole event caused tension inside of the church and ultimately it within his church led to some people even leaving the church over this issue. And uh, David Platt, 
writing in reflection and kind of reflecting on the fallout, he, this is what he said in his book, Before You Vote. He said, as I watched everything unfold, I couldn't help but draw one conclusion about the church amidst the political climate in our country. This is what he said. We are sick. And he goes on, he says this. He says, we are so quick to accuse, to belittle, to cancel, to distrust, to disparage, to deride, and to divide from one another. And it's not just people outside of the church, it's people inside of the church too. And it's not just this side or that side, it's all of us, including me, he says. He goes on, he says this. He says, we are swimming in toxic political waters that are poisoning the unity Jesus desires for his church and we are polluting the glory Jesus deserves through us in the world. I think he said it really well. I think he articulates something that many of us are feeling in, in every sphere of life. And so the question, I guess, is this then. Why in the world will we be doing this series? Right? If it's such a controversial uh, potentially volatile, divisive topic, why are we talking about it? Is it because we just wanna add to the controversy? We like to stir it up. Is that why we're doing this series? Is it because we wanna pour gasoline on an already roaring fire that we kind of see within our culture? And of course, the answer is no. The real simple reason that we're doing this three-week series, I'll just tell you up front, the real simple reason is this, is because I believe and we believe that right now, Christ followers need perspective and Christ followers need guidance, Okay, I think that's why we're doing this series. I, I tell you, I could just speak for myself. I feel like right now I need perspective and I need guidance in the midst of this time. And we would look and we'd say, yeah, for those of us who follow Jesus, I think we need this. We need perspective and guidance in this climate, in this season that we find ourselves in right now. Now, you might notice, by the way, that um, as, I, as I say here on the screen, this series is targeted specifically to those who follow Christ. Okay, so the, the primary audience that we're going to be addressing and speaking to is really to the Christian. And so if you're a person in this room who's a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a Christian, uh, this is going to have immediate and it is going to have uh, relevant applications and implications for you specifically. But let me just say as well that if you're a person who's not a Christian, so maybe you're exploring Christianity or you had a friend kind of invite you here today or maybe the topic was something that you found interesting and so you decided to come, let me just say first and foremost, that I'm, I'm so excited you're here. We count it an absolute honor and privilege that you would let us be part of your exploration process. And then let me also just applaud you for your open-mindedness to hear the Christian perspective on politics. So I just wanna say thank you for that. But listen, I, even though this series is kind of geared specifically to those who follow Jesus, my hope is that if you're exploring Christianity, that you will still be able to glean a lot from the next three weeks. And even more than that, I'll just kind of be real upfront with you, my hope is that you will understand the heart of Christianity, that through this series, you'll be able to understand what it is that Christians really value and what it is that we really believe and, uh, and wanna invite you even into that, okay? So, so just so you know that. So because this is our goal, right, is we wanna seek perspective and we wanna seek guidance because that's what we're trying to do, um, let me tell you what we're, we're not trying to do. Okay, so let me just tell you what we won't be doing in this series. I think this is really helpful just to help set some expectations. So first off, in this series, we are not going to be telling you who to vote for. All right, so if, you've been, if you were coming to this series because you said, finally, there's a pastor, there's a church that's gonna tell me because I'm a follower of Jesus how I should vote and who I should vote for. It's just not gonna happen. We're not gonna do that uh, in this series. If you're like... Um, in this series, are we gonna put brochures out in the cafe that give me a list of the different candidates who I should vote for? No, all right? And if you happen to have brochures and you're gonna ask me later about putting them out, just don't, all right? Just don't do it. We're not doing that. That's just not the aim of this series. Uh, the second thing I would say is we are not advocating for a party affiliation. 
It's one thing we're not gonna be doing in this series. We're not gonna be advocating. We're not gonna be looking and promoting one political party over the other one. Uh, We've actually talked politics in the past here at Grace Church. And one of the ground rules that we set that I think is just really helpful when we get into conversations like this is we say, hey, for those of us who follow Jesus, let's be sure to check elephants and donkeys at the door. Okay, so let's come in and, uh, and hopefully have a chance to look at what scripture says and to think about that together. So we're not going to be endorsing any one political affiliation. Our whole hope in this series is to give perspective and guidance, and it's not to give any pre-made decisions. Okay, so that's something we're going for. And then here's the third thing I'd say. One of the things that we won't be doing is we're not gonna be bashing any candidates or political parties. Okay, so to the best of our ability, our hope is to speak respectfully, it's to, speak, uh, it's to speak about any person, any human being, uh, as someone who has dignity and has worth in the eyes of God. And by the way, I just wanna ask you, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, that maybe we would do the same, okay? So as it relates to our conversations throughout the week and as it relates to our conversations even in the cafe, that we just be careful. We'd be careful about how we talk about other people and specifically even candidates. And so those are just some ground rules that I think might be helpful for us. All right, one other thing before we jump into is I thought maybe I would point you to some helpful resources. So obviously three weeks is not enough to cover everything. And so if you're looking for more about the Christian perspective on politics, I would love to give you a couple resources that have been helpful for me uh, that I think might be helpful for you too. The first one is Mixed Messages. Uh, There's a podcast that's actually out from the senior pastor of our church, uh, Jeff Bogue. It's called Mixed Messages. And it is a really very, very, very helpful, very accessible resource. You can listen to it on your drive time. You can listen to it when you're working out. But in the past few episodes, he's talked a lot about politics. And, and I just tell you, it's been very, very helpful for me. So that's good. Another thing I might recommend to you is there's a lecture that was done by a guy named Ryan Lowry. He's a pastor in Columbus. It was called Gospel Over Politics. If you Google that, you can watch that. I thought it was very helpful. Uh, If you're looking for some books, David Platt, who I mentioned just a moment ago, he wrote a book called Before You Vote, uh, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask. Very practical, very helpful, and very quick. So it's a good read. And then uh, Jesus Outside of the Lines, I think is also really helpful for understanding the Christian perspective on politics. Okay, so those are some recommendations. If you wanna take a picture of the screen, feel free to do that. I will do my best to do my senior picture pose when you take your pictures. So go ahead. You got it? All right, good. There we are. Okay. Very good. Okay. Last last chance. All right, good. We got it. All right. So I don't know. That's dumb. All right. But uh, here's the thing. These are some helpful resources for sure. But as we, as we pursue perspective and guidance, the place that we're going to go, which I find no surprise to you if you've been coming to Grace for any amount of time, the place that we're going to go to seek perspective and guidance is we're going to go to the Bible. We're going to go to Scripture. Here's what we believe here at Grace. We believe that the, the Word of God is endurable, and we believe that it, that it is eternal, that it is durable and eternal. And we believe that, uh, that the, what the Scripture has to say is not just relevant to one voting cycle. We think it's relevant to every voting cycle. And we think that what the Word of God has to say isn't just relevant to one governmental structure, but it is, it, is, it is relevant to every governmental structure that ever was and ever will be. And so because of that, we feel the increasing need to look at something that we can rely on, something that's trustworthy and something that's durable. And we believe that's God's Word. And so because of that, I wanna encourage you to grab your Bible. And if you would turn with me, we're gonna go to Ephesians 2. So the passage that was just read, is a passage that we're gonna be, pick, be picking apart together is here in Ephesians chapter two. Now, let me just say, this series that we're gonna be in for the next three weeks and then the series following that 
are all going to be primarily based out of the book of Ephesians, okay? So we're going to be kind of in the book of Ephesians for the better part of the fall and even into the winter. We're going to be looking at that together. And the reason that we're going to be jumping into Ephesians is because I believe that it contains within it, both in content and in context, incredibly helpful considerations that can help give guidance to those who follow Jesus, okay? And so, for example, let me, let me tell you a few of the reasons why I think uh, the book of Ephesians is so relevant. If you look at the background, you're going to find a few things. So let me give you some background on the book of Ephesians, just a little bit. Uh, what you're going to find is that the book of Ephesians actually was a letter that was written to a church in Ephesus. So we call it a book of the Bible. It's actually probably better to call it a letter because originally it was a letter that was written by a guy named Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul was actually an early church leader. He was a church planter. And he's writing a letter to this church that he planted in a place called Ephesus. And here's one of the things we, we know about, about the Ephesian church. This church grew rapidly. And eventually it became the central point of one of the greatest revivals in the history of the first century. Okay, so this church, this church went from being nothing, right? No Christians, no church, to becoming the hub of one of the most explosive movements in the first century. In fact, it's really interesting. From, from the church in Ephesus, the message of Jesus spread to an estimated 8 to 15 million people in two years. That's crazy if you think about that. This is before the internet. This is before all the modern advancements and technology that we have. And within two years from the city of Ephesus, eight to 15 million people were reached with this life-changing movement that took place. And the nature of this revival, what we're gonna learn is that this revival led to the transformation of lives. It led to the transformation of marriages. It led to the transformation of social structures, of the economy, this revival would transform and would eventually even outlast the Roman Empire itself. And of course, the question we're gonna be thinking about is what, what was it? What was the spark that lit the fuse of this explosive movement that took place in the first century? What was the impetus for this transformational explosive movement that happened? And of course, what history is gonna tell us and what the Bible is going to tell us here in Ephesians is that the impetus, that the spark that ignited this massive movement that eventually transformed the entire Roman Empire was this, was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was this message. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I love the way one uh, commentator on the book of Ephesians said it, named David Kim. Here's what he said. He said, the gospel, the gospel transformed the culture of the region, look at this, without direct political involvement, without big budgets, or without mass gatherings, it was simply the raw power of the gospel on display. And so what, what I wanna show you today, what we're gonna see in Ephesians chapter two, is I wanna show you th that Ephesians is gonna reveal to us three perspective-orienting truths that the gospel is going to teach us. Okay, so, so what I wanna do is I wanna talk to us about these three perspective-orienting truths that the gospel teaches us, and then I wanna show us how this interfaces with the political view and with the way that we navigate politics. So here they are, okay? The book, of, the book of Ephesians is gonna tell us these three things. The gospel is going to tell us that our greatest problem is sin. Okay, so super simple. Here's what the gospel is going to teach us. Our greatest problem, humanity's greatest problem, your greatest problem, my greatest problem is sin. That's what the gospel is gonna say. Number two, our greatest need is God's grace. So because our greatest problem is sin, the gospel is gonna say, therefore, our greatest need is the grace of God. And then number three, 
Because our greatest problem is sin and because our greatest need is God's grace, for those of us who follow Jesus, our greatest priority, therefore, like the most important thing is to proclaim. It is to tell people, it is to make this message clear and accessible to everybody, right? That's it. So, so these are the three things that I wanna think about. Let me talk about this. And then, like I said, we're gonna spend the, after we're done talking about it, we're gonna talk about how that should inform and how that should help us navigate through politics, all right? So let's just start at the top. Here's what the gospel is gonna tell us. It's gonna say our greatest problem is sin. Here in Ephesians chapter two, uh, the apostle Paul is actually going to reiterate and he is going to rearticulate this life-transforming message of the gospel. And where does he start? Well, I want you to notice where he starts. Look at verse one. Talking to the Ephesians, he says to them this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Okay, so let's just hit pause there for a minute. And I want you just to think about with me here for a moment the strong language that the apostle Paul uses to describe the condition of these people. Do you notice how strong this is? Here's what he says. He says, as for you guys, you Ephesians, he says, you guys were dead. You were dead. You were, you were spiritually, you were spiritually unresponsive. You were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. Now, uh, let, me, let me just talk about that for a minute because those two words, transgressions and sins, they can sound super churchy, right? Like I think a lot of times when we hear those words, we think of, they have, they're kind of religious terms. But here's all they mean. Simply speaking, transgressions literally means faults, it means offenses, and it means mistakes. And more specifically, it is faults and offenses and mistakes that are conducted against God, Right? That it's, it's, it's an offense towards God. It's a mistake against God's desires for us. So he's gonna say, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. Now again, sin, right? Super churchy word. But here's what it means. It literally just means you missed the mark. So sin means miss the mark. And basically here's the idea. The idea is that God created every single one of us and he created us with an intent, that he has a created desire in which he wants, us to, he wants to see us live. He wants to see us flourish. He has a way that he's designed for us to live. And the Bible says that all of us have fallen short of that. We've all decided to go our own way. We've all walked away from that in one way or another. And we've all fallen short of his standards. So we've all, the Bible's gonna say, we're all dead in our transgressions and our sins. Now look what he says. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Some of you are like, now what in the world is that talking about? All right, so here, here's the basic, kind of the basic, uh, the basic version of it. What he's saying here is he's saying, you used, to, you used to follow the ways of this world. And that's talking about the world system. That there is a, there's a natural way, there's a natural flow to the way this world works. And that flow tends to be against God. And so he says, you used to follow that flow and you used to follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Some of you are like, now what in the world is that talking about? Well, you can probably guess what that's actually referring to is it's talking about Satan. And I know that for some of you, even when I say that, that creates confusion or it creates intrigue or maybe for you, there's questions that come up, which by the way, let me just say that if you're interested in that and talking further about that, I would encourage you to come back for the next series after this one. Uh, in the series after this, we're actually gonna be spending our time looking at Ephesians 6 primarily. It talks about the nature of our battle, the battle that we face. But he's using a strong language. 
He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So there again, it's another very strong word. The word disobedience literally means stubborn. It means that you were opposed to God and you were unwilling to follow him. That's what it means. So, so what's he saying here? Man, this is some strong terms to talk about their condition. And basically, if I could just paraphrase what the Apostle Paul is saying here, if I could put it in the Tony paraphrase version, the, the TPV, that's not actually a thing. If I, could, if I could do it, I would put it this way. Here, here's how I would say it. Paul's basically saying, guys, remember, remember, you used to be in big trouble. You were in big trouble. You were dead in your mistakes. You missed the mark of God's intended design. You followed the system of this world in which you were, was under the power of Satan and you were disobedient and you were stubborn and you were unwilling to turn to God. So listen, this is, this is how Paul is describing their condition. Now here's what's so interesting and you gotta catch this next part because look what Paul says next. He says, all of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. And you see what Paul says here? This is so important. Paul says, you guys, Ephesians, you guys were pretty messed up and you were dead in your transgressions and sins and you had fallen away from God, you were disobedient. But then Paul says this, and me too. He says, every single one of us. See, Paul doesn't come in and say, you know, you guys had this big problem and you were like these big sinners and you guys did all this stuff wrong. But then I came in and I'm like a good guy and I know the right way to live. And so I told you all how to live and I taught you how to be a good person. And now you're good people. Now, that's not what he says. He says, no, you guys, listen, you guys were sinners and you guys were disobedient to God, just like the rest of us. See, I gotta be real clear here. The message of the gospel is not, the message of the gospel does not say there are some good people and there are some bad people. And the good people need to help the bad people. And the good people are the ones that we need to elect to office and the bad people are the people we need to get out of office. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says all have sinned, every single one of us. That's what the gospel teaches. The gospel does not say there's some people who have it together and there's some people who are really royally screwed up. And so the people who have it together really need to help out the people who are like totally screwed up. And that's how the world should work. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel does not say the problem with the world is out there and the problem with the world is with them and those people. That's not the gospel. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says, no, the problem with the world is not out there, it's in here. And it's not with all of them, it's with all of us. It's every human heart. So what the apostle Paul is going to teach us is that the, our biggest problem is sin. And it's not just them, it's all of us. It's all of us. It's not out there, it's in here. It's not just you, it's me. And it's inside of all of us. Listen, I just tell you, I think what Paul is saying here is dead on. Because can I, can I just tell you, you know, when I look into the world right now, when I look into media, when I've been following, you know, different news feeds and been watching the debates, do you know what I see? You know what I see right now in our society? I see what you see. And I see, I see pride. I see mudslinging. I see people saying these, these, these devaluing things to each other, caricaturizing each other. I see prejudice. I see hatred. I see all of that playing out in front of me. But can I be honest with you guys? When I look, and I'm just being super honest, when I look into my own heart and I look into the recesses of what's going on inside of myself, do you know what I see? I see the same stuff. 
I see pride, I see arrogance, I see an unwillingness to listen, I see an inclination to demonize people who think differently or act differently than I do. I see prejudice, I see all of that within me. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is the greatest problem. The greatest problem is sin. That's what it is. And, and what's fascinating is he's gonna say, this is a big problem because look what, he, look what he goes on to say. He says, all of us, all of us, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So Paul's gonna say, you guys, this is a big problem because the Bible says that apart from God's grace, every single one of us, because of our sin, is deserving of God's wrath. The Bible puts it this way, the wages of sin is death. And so what is our biggest problem? Our greatest problem is that sin separates us from eternity with Jesus Christ. Our big problem is that in our sin, we are separated from God and the wrath of God is something that all of us deserve apart from his grace. That is our problem. And that is the problem with all of humanity. And so that leads to the second thing. It reveals our greatest need. And so if sin is our greatest problem, the Bible is gonna say that our greatest need is the grace of God. That is our greatest need is God's grace. Notice how the Apostle Paul puts it. Check this out in verse four. It says, because of his great love for us. Notice the words that he uses. He says, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You hear this language? He says, listen, man, we were dead in our transgressions transgressions and sins. We, we were disobedient to God's all this strong language. But then he says, but God has been so kind to us and he's been so merciful to us. And he's been so gracious to us. He goes on, he says this, he says, and God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. You guys, this is the good news of the gospel. This is it. The good news of the gospel is that God has been merciful and he has been kind and he has been gracious. That God did not give us what we deserve because what we, des what we were deserving of was his wrath, but instead what he gave us was his grace. Instead what he gave us was his kindness, which is expressed in the free gift of Jesus Christ. So he's gonna go on, he's gonna say, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Very, very famous verse. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, when a person embraces Jesus Christ by faith, they receive his grace and they're saved. And they're saved because our greatest need is God's grace and it's a gift of God. It's not because you're a good person. It's not because you're a bad person. It's because God has gifted it to you in his grace. And the Bible's gonna tell us that this is our, our greatest need. And so our greatest problem is sin. Our greatest need is the free gift of grace. And therefore, Paul's gonna say our greatest priority for those of us who follow Jesus, the top priority in our life is this. Above all other affiliations and above all other allegiances, our top priority is to proclaim this message. It is the message of Jesus Christ and the grace that he extends to us. I think that's why in verse 10, look what he says. He said, we are God's handiwork and we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, what Paul's gonna say is once the grace of God gets a hold of someone's heart, that should catapult them and propel them into a life of living uh, good deeds and good works so that people can hear the message of the gospel. I actually love the way Paul says it in Ephesians 3. If you just go over a chapter, look at what he says. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me. See what he says? 
God's grace was a gift to me. And because of that, I am now a servant to this message. I am here to serve the gospel. He says, the grace was given to me. Why? So that I could preach. So that I could proclaim to other people the boundless riches of Christ. And look, to make plain to everyone. And so so here's what Paul says. He says, because our greatest problem is sin and because our greatest need is God's grace and because Jesus Christ has come to give us his grace and the forgiveness of sins, he says, once that grace gets a hold of your life, Paul says, my ambition in life is to be a servant of the gospel, is to preach the message of the gospel and is to do everything to make that message plain to everyone. Paul basically is gonna say, I will do anything, anything, to, to eliminate any unnecessary barrier that would keep someone from hearing this message. I live so that people can know this message because our greatest problem is sin and our greatest need is grace. And the good news is that God has given us grace in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I live for that message. And listen, here, here's what I believe. I believe that for those of us who follow Christ, what that means is that we have to share this perspective. We have to share this perspective that this takes priority over all other affiliations and all other agendas, right? What this is telling us is this. The proclamation of the gospel is primary. Politics is not. So let me just say that again. For those of us who follow Christ, what he's saying in this passage is that the proclamation of the gospel is is primary and politics are not. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be involved politically, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take a stance, that we shouldn't vote, that we shouldn't be connected, that we shouldn't be thinking about and processing through these things. In fact, that's what this whole series is about. In the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about that some. But, but I think that we have to start here. We have to start with some perspective, and the perspective begins here, that, po- that, that, uh, that the gospel is what is the priority, the proclamation, because, because the greatest problem is sin, and our greatest need is grace. And so because of that, the most loving thing we can do is proclaim the message of the gospel and do that as best as we, we can. You know, I actually find this very enlightening, especially when you think of... Um, kind of some of the issues that were happening in Paul's day. I thought this was really interesting. If you look back at, uh, at some, of the, some of the political issues that they were facing in Ephesus, I think it actually is very telling. And so, for example, uh, back in this time, a couple of things we know that were going on in Ephesus is we know that there was some serious gender inequality that was happening. And what I mean by that is, uh, if you've ever, some of you might know this, in first century Rome, um, women were treated very, very poorly. And so women were considered second-class citizens in this culture. Women were degraded. Uh, they were considered less valuable than men. Uh, women, they, when they would testify in court, their testimony didn't even count. That, that's, how, that's how degraded they were. And of course, this led to all kinds of abuse. As you can imagine, a lot of bad things that were done uh, because of that. In addition to that, so that was one issue they were facing. Here's another issue they were facing. Uh, they were facing slavery. So in Ephesus, we actually know this, slavery was a big thing. In the Roman Empire in the first century, it's estimated that one third of the population was comprised of slaves. So that was a thing that was going on uh, in Paul's day as he was writing this letter. Another thing that we know about is we know that there was tyrannical rulers and dictators. And so the Roman, emperor, em, the Roman emperors, guys like Nero, oh my goodness, these guys were tyrannical, they were narcissistic, they were antagonistic. I don't know if any of you have ever studied Roman emperors before, but if you have, you will come to find these guys were monstrous. 
I mean, they make any of the United States presidents look like Mr. Rogers in comparison. They would, they would, Nero, Nero claimed to be God and he demanded that people worship him. Nero was responsible for persecuting and killing Christians. That whole thing that happened in the Colosseum where they would feed Christians to lions, that was Nero. And that guy was in charge when Paul is writing this book. In addition to that, uh, in this time, infanticide was, well, there's a big issue. Uh, not only were women's lives viewed as less valuable, children's lives were considered even less valuable. And so it was very common in this time, if you didn't want your child, that you just throw them away. There's, there's entire trash heaps that archaeologists are discovering that have remains of infants, of, of unwanted babies that would have been thrown into the, to the trash heaps during this time. It was a big issue back in that time. But, and I could go on. I could give you more issues than this. But here's what I find so fascinating. When you read the Apostle Paul's writings and when you read the writings of the New Testament, even the writings of Jesus, do you know what they, they're never saying? The Apostle Paul is never gonna say this. He's never gonna say, Christians, what we need to do is we need to get together and we need to fight for women's rights. You never see that in any of the Apostle Paul's writings. You never see that in Jesus's writings. You never see that in Peter's writings or any of the New Testament. You know what you never see in the New Testament? You never see Paul say, you guys, you know what we need to do? We need to rise up and we need to abolish slavery. That needs to be the primary focus of what we're doing. He never says that. Never once does he say that. You know what the Apostle Paul never says? He never says, Man, you guys, you know what's going on is Nero's in office and he's killing Christians. And so what we need to do is we need to rise up and we need to overthrow Nero and we need to get a Christian guy in office. He never says that, right? It's interesting. What does he say? Does he even speak to these issues? Well, you, know, you wanna know what Paul says? I'll tell you what he says. This is what the New Testament says. And you can actually read about it in Ephesians chapter five. Paul's gonna look at slaves and you know what he's gonna say to them? He's gonna say, slaves, slaves, fight for your freedom. Is that what he's gonna say? No, Paul says this, slaves, obey your masters, submit to them, listen to them, work hard for them, even when they're not watching. Why would he say that? Is it because Paul's pro-slavery? Is that why he would say that? No, no, in fact, the commentators would look and historians would look and they would say that the New Testament was, was actually the impetus for the abolishing of slavery. So why would Paul say that? Here's why he would say that. First Timothy chapter six. He would say, slaves, you need to listen to your masters. Why? So that they might be receptive to the gospel. They might hear the gospel. Now, Paul, by the way, is not just gonna talk to, slave, to slaves. He's also gonna talk to slave owners, which is unheard of. And he's gonna say to Christian slave owners, he's gonna say, hey, slave owners, treat your slaves like brothers in Christ. Show them respect, teach them. And basically what he would say is let them go is what he would say. The Apostle Paul doesn't look at Christians and say, you guys, Nero, man, that guy, he keeps killing Christians, man. We gotta do something. We gotta stage a coup. We gotta overthrow him. We gotta get a Christian in office. I don't know why my voice is changing like that. Right? <laughs> just sounds like, doesn't that just sound like the way to say it? We gotta stage a coup, overthrow him. It's gotta, it's gotta be a Southern draw. That's not what he says. Right? What do they say? He says, this is, what, this is what Paul says, pray for him, honor him, and whenever possible, obey him as long as it's not contradictory to what the word of God says. Now, why would he say that? Here's why. He says, because our hope is that they would be transformed by the gospel. 
That's it. See, here's what the Apostle Paul knew. Why would Paul be more focused on the, uh, more focused on the gospel than on these issues? Why would that be his primary focus and not these things? Why? And here's why. Because here's what the Apostle Paul knew that I believe every follower of Jesus Christ needs to know. And it's this. It's this. Paul knew that if you want to change the world, you have to change the culture. And if you want to change the culture, you have to change families. Right? You have to change households. You have to change values. And if you want to change families, you have to change people. And if you want to change people, you have to change their hearts. And here's the truth that Paul knew. There is no policy. There is no law. There is no political agenda that can transform our hearts. Nothing can do that. Here's what Paul knows. Only, only the gospel can change the human heart. Because, listen, our greatest problem is sin in here. And our greatest need is God's grace that can overcome that. And that leads to the greatest proclamation, which is of the gospel. Because, man, listen, if you can tell people the gospel, that's going to change their heart. And if you can change hearts, you can change people. And if you can change people, you can change fathers and mothers and families. And you can change the culture and you can change the world. And that's how it worked in Ephesus. It started with the gospel and it worked its way out. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying this. Paul's saying, listen, we are not here to overthrow Rome. We are here to overthrow hell. And for those of us who follow Christ, listen, we're not here to overthrow a political party. We are not here to overthrow a political agenda. We are here to overthrow hell. That is our biggest problem. That is our biggest problem. I think this is why the apostle Paul is gonna say stuff like this. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, the gospel is of first importance. That's what he's gonna say. What's the most important thing, Paul? Gospel, the gospel. Because he knows, and the gospel's gonna change people. And that's gonna change everything. I think this helps make sense of what the apostle Paul says in another place in 1 Corinthians chapter nine. Here, look, look, look what Paul says here. This gives us a window into, kind of into the way he thought, into his strategy Here's what he says. He says, I've become all things to all people. Now, before this, what he says is, he says, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the Greek, I became like a Greek. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. To those not under the law, I became like one not under the law. And he says, and I've done this. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. See what he says? Paul says, listen, I will do anything, anything, anything short of sin so that I can proclaim this message to people that they need Jesus because that is our greatest need that covers over our greatest problem. Paul says, I will, I will eliminate any unnecessary barrier that would keep people from hearing that truth because that's what all of us need. And listen, here's what I think Ephesians teaches us. I think Ephesians teaches us how the gospel changes everything. The gospel changed Rome, and it did it one heart at a time, and it did it one person at a time, and it did it one family at a time, until eventually it transformed the whole thing and it even outlasted Rome itself. Social structures came down, slavery fell down, women's rights was fought for, but it was all because the gospel came, all because the gospel came first. All right, so some of you are hearing that and you might be thinking, okay, so that's, 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 that's what the gospel teaches us. How do, you, how do you take that then and how do you play that out today in the political atmosphere we find ourselves in right now? So for those of us who follow Jesus, let me just see if I can give us some practical implications. Okay, so let me just start with this one. Practical implication number one, gospel has to take priority of politics. 
So I just think for those of us who follow Christ, this has to take priority over politics. It doesn't mean we shouldn't care. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be uninvolved. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have an opinion. It just means we need to, listen, I think we have to be very careful for those of us who follow Christ that we don't do anything that would unnecessarily hinder an opportunity for us to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to somebody. Maybe I'd get more specific. So let me just say this. I'm probably gonna step on some people's toes. This might not be a very popular thing to say, but I just really felt convicted to say this. I think for the, some of us who follow Jesus, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, I think for some of us, we need to be very, very careful about what we put in our yards, about what we put on the back of our cars, and about what we put on social media. Like, we gotta be super careful about that. Because listen, here, here's the way I see it. Why, why would you unnecessarily limit your audience or your influence by making the first thing that people know about you the one thing that seems to be the most divisive in our country right now? Why, why would you do that? Why would you cash out all of your credibility that could potentially limit your audience by 50% and put an obstacle that might keep someone from knowing the glorious grace of Jesus Christ? I, and I, I also just got to say this. I, I think got to be really. I think we got to be really, really careful about what we're putting on social media. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't have conversations. We should. I'm not saying we shouldn't have opinions. I think we should. We should do all of that. But, but right there in front of the watching world to see, that's the first thing that we're going to tell people about who we are. You got to be really careful about that. And can we just say this? I mean, I think this is just a good rule for those who follow Christ. And even if you don't, I think this is just a good policy. How about this? How about no arguments on social media? Can we just say that's probably a good thing? Like, just no arguments, right? I actually heard a, a really interesting quote the other day I thought I'd share with you. Someone said this. They said, I had a really enlightening and enriching conversation with someone on social media. You know who said this? No one ever. <laughs> like, literally, literally, no one has ever said this. Because it's not possible. It's not possible. And I think we gotta be careful about that. Why enter into that realm? I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about this stuff. I'm just saying, followers of Jesus, we have to be so careful because there's one message we're ambassadors of. There's one message that we need to proclaim above all others. And we don't wanna cash out our influence and cash out our opportunities on something that might hinder someone from knowing what the greatest need is, and that's Jesus Christ. Here's the next thing I'd say. I would say guard our hearts. We have to be careful to guard our hearts against demonizing others. Man, this is true for me too. I'll just be the first one to admit this. It is so easy for me when I see people who are on the other side of an issue that I'm on for me to demonize them, for me to look at them like they're the enemy. It's easy for me to do that. Now, can I just say this? And again, I think this is just really important to say. For those of us who follow Jesus, no matter how much someone might disagree with us, no matter how much someone might, might, um, might even criticize us, no matter how much someone might even hate us, we cannot hate them and we cannot demonize them. They are the mission field. We can't hate the mission field that Jesus Christ died to love and has commissioned us to proclaim to. We can't hate them, and we can't demonize them. Can I tell you one of the things that's been helpful for me? Like I said, I struggle with this one. So something that's been helpful for me, and I'm not perfect at it, but I think it might be helpful for some of us. You know one of the things I do right now? You guys know those campaign signs that are all over the place? 
One of the things I do right now is I try to use these as prayer prompts. And so whenever I drive past the sign, I try to pray. And uh, as you can imagine, I'm praying a lot these days. And, um, but I'll pass a sign and here's my rule of thumb. My rule of thumb is pray for the person on the sign and pray for the person in the house. That's, what I, that's my rule of thumb. Pray for the person on the sign, pray for the person. And you're like, well, what do you pray for? Their destruction? No, no, let me tell you what I pray for. Listen, because, because our greatest problem is sin, all of us, and because our greatest need is grace, you know what I pray for? I'll pray this. Lord, I wanna pray for President Trump. He's our president. He needs wisdom. He needs guidance. I pray for that. Lord, I pray he's a sinful man. He's imperfect, just like me and just like all of us. His greatest need is your grace. Father, if he doesn't know you, I pray that you would bring someone to him, that he would know you, that he would find you, that he would follow you, that he would be a redeemed man. I pray for that. God, I pray for former Vice President Biden. Lord, I lift him up. I ask you, he is a sinful person, just like all of us are. That is the greatest problem in all of us, God. I ask you, he is made in your image. He has value, he has worth. I pray, Jesus, that you would send someone to him, that he would be able to know of your amazing grace and your mercy. So I pray for him. You know what I pray for? I pray for the person in the house. You know what I ask? I say, God, that is a person who's made in your image. I pray, Lord, that they would find your grace. I pray that you would use churches even like ours. Would you use us? Would you use me? to bring that gospel. And I, I will pray things like that as I pass by these houses. And I think, I think it might be important that, that we follow some of this. It's just a helpful suggestion in the midst of a time like this. Uh, here, here's a question I think we have to ask too. You know, for some of you, even when I say pray for these names on the sign or pray for the person in the house, for some of you, you have a hard time with that because you're thinking to yourself, I can't, I can't even imagine praying for that candidate. I can't even imagine praying for someone who would vote for that candidate, and, it, and you struggle with that. And can I just tell you that if that bothers you, I think you really need to check your heart if you're a follower of Christ. Because if it bothers you more that someone is voting for someone else to be in office, that bothers you more than the fact that they might be going to hell. Yeah, I think, I think we need some perspective. Something's off here, right? Here's the third thing I'd say is uh, I think we need to avoid moralizing a political party. You know, one of the things that makes me cringe is when I hear Christ followers say stuff like this, is when I hear them say, I don't understand how a person can be a Christian and vote Democrat. I don't understand how a person could be a Christian and vote Republican. I don't know, I can't understand how a person could be a Christian and be a libertarian or whatever political affiliation it might be. And the reason it makes me cringe is because I always think it's just, honestly, it's just not that simple. It's just, it's overly simplistic and it's just not that easy. It's not that easy. Because the truth is, here's the truth. There are moral issues. That's true. But there is no one political party that fully encapsulates the kingdom ethic. There's just not. And so Christians have to navigate through these things. Uh, Ryan Lowry, in his lecture on gospel and politics, he pointed out, he said, you know, when you look at the, when you look at the Bible for guidance on the issues, you're gonna see stuff like this. Like Christianity is going to speak very, very, uh, in a very direct way to specific issues. So for example, the Bible's gonna say Christians should be pro-life. Christ followers should hold an ethic in which we view life as something that's sacred, the sanctity of human life. Proverbs is gonna tell us that we should defend those who cannot defend themselves. It's important. The Bible's also gonna say that Christians should be pro-women's rights. 
The passage like Galatians. There is now no slave nor, nor, nor free. There is no uh, man, male nor female, nor Jew nor Greek, all those kind of things. Uh, the Bible is going to show us, I think you can make a really strong case that the Bible's super strong on environmental issues. Genesis, the, the commission that's given to humanity to subdue and rule over the earth. It's a, big, it's a commission that's given to humanity. Uh, I also think the Bible is going to tell us that we should be against capital punishment. And then in other passages, it's going to say we should be for capital punishment. Quite honestly, I'm a little confused about that one. But uh, that's a little down about that one. The Bible is going to say that uh, we should be anti-materialistic. How about that one? Anyone want to vote for the party that's like, let's not be materialistic people? I don't know if that's good. I don't even know. I don't think any party thinks that. Uh, how about this one? Great concern for the poor. Over 2,000 verses that are contained in the Bible that speak about God's heart for those in poverty. 2,000. That says something about God's heart. Uh, great concern for immigrants and refugees. There are um, 92 Old Testament references that specifically call those who love God to love immigrants. And you have that too. How about this one? The, the, uh, the equality and the value of all people, regardless of ethnicity, gender, religion, sexual orientation. Genesis 1 is going to say we're all created in the image of God and have value. Strong views on marriage, family, and sexual relations. The Bible's also going to say that Christians should be people who have traditional views on sexuality and marriage and relationships. The Bible's going to say we should be strong on justice. We should be strong on personal freedom. I could give you more than this. But here, here's the point that I'm trying to make, is you can see it just doesn't, it's, it's not neat and clean. And any thinking, believing, prayerful Christian is going to have to process these things on their own. They're going to have to think through these things on their own. But here's the truth. Christians need to be people who can process through these things and pray for these things and land in different places but still be united on this one thing, that the greatest problem is sin and the greatest need is grace and our greatest priority is in the proclamation of the gospel. I'll tell you what I find so interesting. Did you know that it, within Jesus' disciples, within his 12 disciples, that there were vastly different political views represented? You had Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was pro-Roman government. And then you had Simon the Zealot. He was a guy who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. You couldn't have two more, two more polarized political views, and yet they found something that was more central and of greater importance to them, and it was that Jesus Christ was the Lord. And so they were side by side and they were back to back on the gospel even though they were on different sides of the aisle politically. I think that instructs those of us who follow Jesus that that needs to be where our priority is that we can land in different places but we can still be focused on this primary thing, the message of the gospel. So in conclusion, for those of us who follow Jesus, I think to gain perspective, we need to honestly evaluate and maybe even pray through these questions. What is our greatest problem? I, like, like, I just want you to think about that. What is our greatest problem? What do you think that it is, and what do you act like it is? What do you think our greatest problem is? Would you say that our greatest problem is a lack of education? Would you say that our greatest problem is our economy? Would you say that our greatest problem is racism? What do you think our greatest problem is right now? And could it be that maybe all of those things are just symptomatic of a deeper problem, and that it's not a problem out there, but it's a problem in here. The problem's sin. It could it be, maybe we ask this question, what is our greatest problem? Maybe another good question would be this, who do you think is our greatest enemy? Maybe you need to ask that. Who is your greatest enemy right now? Is it Biden? Is it Trump? Is it the fly that was on Pence's hair? Like, I don't know. Who, who is our greatest enemy? Is it the libs? Is it the conservatives? 
Or is it Satan, sin, and death? Who's the real enemy? You gotta ask this question. What's our greatest need? What do we actually think our greatest need is? Do we think our greatest need is healthcare, is tax reform, a new political agenda? Is that what our greatest need is? Or is it that we need a changed heart? We need a new, we need a new ethic within our own hearts that only Jesus Christ can bring. And then we gotta ask what's our greatest priority? Where's our priority lie? Are we more concerned about overthrowing a political party than we are about overthrowing hell? And for those of us who follow Christ, we need to orient ourselves, I think, to a bigger perspective. I love the way Jeff Bogue said it. Jeff Bogue is a senior pastor at Grace Church. He said, God didn't call us to save a country. He called us to build a kingdom. And I think he's dead on. I think he's right about that. I'm asking the band to come up. And as they do, um, I, wanna, I wanna just say one last thing to one last audience, and then I'll pray. And that's just this. If you're a person who's exploring Christianity, you're, you're not a Christian, you're still thinking about all this stuff, can I just say this to you? I know I've, I've spent a lot of time talking specifically to Christians, but I just wanna say that maybe if you're a person exploring Christianity, maybe you've had some Christians in your life who have communicated hatred and have communicated contempt for a political party or for a candidate. And they've done that at the expense of being very clear on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe they've told you and they've communicated you that it's more important that you're a Republican or it's more important that you're a Democrat than it is that you know Jesus. And can I just tell you, on behalf, I think, of all Christians, can I just say that I'm sorry about that? I'm just sorry. We don't get it right all the time. We mess it up. We're all messed up people. We mess this up. But here's what we believe with all of our heart. We believe our our greatest problem is sin. Inside of you, inside of me, it's not just you, it's all of us. It's not out there, it's in here. We believe our greatest need is the grace of God. Here's the good news. The good news is not, does not come in the form of a political party. The good news is not an elected political leader. The good news is that God so loved the world that he sent his son. And whoever puts their faith and their hope in him will have eternal life. And that is something that's available to you today. God has done something about our greatest problem. He has sent Jesus. And if you've never embraced him, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to do that. And so in a moment, we're gonna worship and sing. I would encourage you, would you even maybe just talk to God? And maybe for you, respond to the gospel. You can go to God right now. You could talk to him and you could say, God, I recognize I'm a sinful person. I recognize, I'm not, I realize the problem is not just out there, it's in here. And I see that you sent your son for me to transform my heart and to invite me into new life. And you can embrace that today it's on, it is a free gift that is available to you for the taking. And I would encourage you to do that. And so as we worship and as we sing, would you pray? Would you talk to God? Would you reflect on the things that we've talked about here today? Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I do just wanna say thank you for, thank you that you did something about our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is that we're separated from you in our sin. The greatest problem is that because of our sin, We are all deserving of your wrath. But you were so kind and you were so gracious to us that while we were still yet sinners, you died for us. And God, uh, that is no small thing. And so because of that, I I pray specifically for those of us who follow you. God, help us just to get our priorities straight. Help us to realize that this is the highest priority, is that the proclamation of the gospel, God, in our own lives and in the lives of others, and God, I ask that you would give us wisdom as we try to navigate through some very complicated times. 
We, we need your wisdom, so we ask for it. And God, of course, I wanna pray for those who are investigating you. I pray that even today, even in these moments, that you would reveal yourself to be true, that you would reveal yourself even in their heart right now, God, that you're real, and that they might embrace you and not walk away from you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.